0: Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. At New Abbey, we believe in the conversation, that it's all about getting to hear from one another, seeing God and the experience that we have uh, within ourselves and sharing that with other people. So you're gonna find three or four people around you. Uh, I have a very light question for you to start with today, and it is this, what story about yourself Do you keep telling yourself? Enjoy telling that to a stranger. If you haven't been around, you may have missed the incredibly exciting news that for this entire year, we are going to be in the Torah. Yeah. Church growth is what we're not trying to accomplish, apparently, with that. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Yes, thank you. One clap for that. Someone heard Numbers and just got fired up. (laughs) We're in the Torah because it's this beautiful scriptures that teach us to listen that the people of God, particularly the Jews, they understand something that Christians often forget, that faith is at its best when we're marginalized. Faith is at its best when we're deconstructing. Faith is at its best when we're questioning and doubting. Sometimes the world that we grew up in is that we were told that faith is at its best when you live in certainty or certitude, which is not true. It is faith, for a reason. There are moments in life that just to be a human being, you need something beyond yourself. And we don't always choose that thing beyond ourselves. Discipline is difficult. Being proactive is often difficult. And often how we learn at first as human beings is we learn when things are Challenging. We learn when we hit rock bottom. We learn because of conflict. We grow and we evolve because we have to, not always because we choose to. Now, with that said, the beauty of the Torah is that it is teaching us, but what if you can learn proactively? What if you can learn through discipline? What if you can learn by listening to the words of God and that they can inspire you in such a way that you don't always have to learn through the difficulty, but you can grow and mature and develop in a way that's healthier for you as a human being? And so today, we're going to talk about learning to listen. And to do that, we're going to talk about some things. We're going to talk about why. This is not my list. That was an interesting moment, right? It says, how? Ah, oh, I was like, huh. Okay, we're good. We're going to learn about why. And then, you know, apple, sex, original sin, and the fall, because some things. And then, if we can do that, everybody's favorite heretic of the third century, Pelagius. Am I right? Yes, yes. And if we can do that, then we'll talk about some archetypal human problems. And then, of course, Marty Bird and Windy Bird, my friends. Ozark fans? Yes. Spoiler alert's coming. That's on you if you haven't caught up. Um, I wouldn't do that to you. I would. would. Shame versus guilt. Then we'll talk about the voice of God. And if we can understand the voice of God, then we can talk about cultivating consciousness. if we can do that, then how? Which you already saw the slide, so you're a little bit ahead on that. I'm endlessly fascinated by the stories that we tell ourselves whether that's individually or corporately as a society. I think that human beings are remarkable because we use our imagination to tell ourselves stories and the stories that we tell ourselves shape who we are and how we see the world. That uh, a year ago, January sixth, twenty twenty-one, there's half the country who heard a story that uh, there was people who rioted and charged the Capitol um, because they uh, were angry because they felt an election was stolen from them and that they followed the lead of the current president because they thought this was the best thing to do for the United States of America. There's millions of people, tens of millions of people, who believed. That story, who still believe that story, and if you ask them about January 6th, right, it, th- these were patriots. These are people who are leading in a revolution. There's another tens of millions of people on another side who saw it as terrorism, who saw it as a moment where democracy was threatened. And what's so interesting is that we all live in the exact same world and we're telling ourselves two drastically different stories about reality. Now, we all share in that corporate reality and the juxtaposition of the dichotomy that took place in January 6, 2021. But within ourselves, there are stories that we tell ourselves all of the time. And we often repeat narratives to ourselves that if we were just to say them out loud to another human being, they would say, you see what in your reality? That we are so certain of the stories that are going on in our heads, but sometimes when we learn to listen, when we invite God, or others, or a healthier version of ourselves into the narratives that we're sharing, we often get a greater perspective. And we say, oh my goodness, I've been carrying that around for years, maybe for decades, and what if it's not true? What if nobody else sees me that way? What if this is just how I see me, and this is what I bring into every room? What if there's a fresh perspective about what the world can be, how other human beings live, maybe even who God can be? One of the most famous stories in the Bible is one of the earliest stories in the Bible, and it's the story of Genesis 3. Now, for most of us in this room, regardless if you grew up evangelical or conservative this or Catholic that, there was a certain version of that story that you were given because you grew up in the Western world. One of the interesting things about Genesis 3, or most of the stories of the Bible, is that there's many perspectives of them. I remember being in college and learning about some of these other perspectives and being shocked to learn that the evangelical theological narrative that I was given is actually a minority view of the Bible historically that there are lots of other views that are much more robust and much more orthodox in the history and the tradition of Christianity. But in the world I grew up in, there was a certain view of the Bible that you were supposed to have. And so the view of Genesis 3 was incredibly problematic for a lot of people. There's all kinds of things in Genesis 3 that we think that we know about it. Somehow it's a story about magical fruit. Somehow it's a story about Satan as a fallen angel coming in. Somehow it's a story to oppress or repress women. Somehow it's a story that's very fatalistic that a few people early on who clearly didn't have belly buttons, right, made a choice. And now fatalistically, we are all suffering the consequences of those choices thousands of years later. Only thousands of years later because that happened 6,000 years ago, obviously. (laughs) But we were given a narrative about it. What's interesting though is that we always haven't agreed on the narrative in Genesis 3 and what happened there. Even for the early church, they didn't agree on the narrative of Genesis 3. What I find that's so interesting about it is that for Christianity, as Christianity developed and evolved over the first like five centuries, is that the view of Genesis 3 changed as Christianity went from being a marginalized group that was oppressed by the Roman Empire to a group of people that now became a state-sponsored religion. And what moved and changed is that when Christianity was oppressed and marginalized, we were very open to conversation. We were very open to diverse views and opinions on scriptures. And we were very open to this idea of of question and movement and evolution. And the reason for that is we were following our mother and father, Judaism, and how we approach the Scriptures. And then what happened is, is that Christianity became state-sponsored, right, and the empire took over, and now we needed to codify some things, and everybody needed to believe in a certain way. Everybody didn't believe in a certain way, but we wanted everybody to believe in a certain way. You may have experienced this in your own life, in, in the churches that you grow up in, in the faith communities. I'm not saying this to be cynical. I'm not saying this to be critical. I just think it's a normal thing that human beings do. That the more powerful that we become, the more likely we are to codify the reality that we want for the world, because that is working for us, because we're powerful. Have you ever traveled to the rest of the world, and you grew up, and you had a certain view of the United States of America, and you went there, and you realized, they have a very different view of us. I thought we were the saviors. I thought everybody was walking around with flags on their back, and they're saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. And you're like, oh. That's interesting how you see us. We are just products of the narratives that we've been given. That doesn't make us evil or malicious or bad. There's just a reality that we've inherited. And so we want to look at these stories in a fresh way because I believe that Genesis 3 is incredibly helpful. I believe that we can look at marginalized perspectives of Genesis 3, and it will teach us to learn to listen to God and to listen to ourselves in a fresh way. For the rabbis, they looked at Genesis 3 not from a story of original sin or the fall. Uh, That's not even part of their narrative in the Eastern Jewish world. They look at Genesis 3 as this archetypal human problem of where we just simply have a choice. And the choice that's presented for us in Genesis 3 is will we choose a life ethic that revolves around shame or we choose a life ethic that revolves around guilt Now, I know for some of you, you're like, well, I don't want either of those. I get it. But both have a part to play in the world, and we're going to dig into that in a little bit deeper way, because the choice and the life ethic that we choose really shapes the way that we live as human beings in the world. So follow along with me in Genesis 3. Now, the man and the woman were both naked, but they felt no shame. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. And one day God asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. It's a pretty direct command. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. I just want to pause here for a second. The rabbis knew this, that this is a story about seeing, and this is a story about hearing. And you'll notice in the story, there's the seeing part, which we'll get to, which the serpent's saying, Don't you see the tree? Don't you see how delicious it looks? Don't you see that it's appetizing? Don't you see that this is something that you want? And that we live in a world at times where we uh, love appearance. That appearance is part of shame culture. That we live into a certain appearance because we think that we have to. And there will always be people or cultures or sociological factors that shape us to meet a certain appearance in the world. I know for me, uh, when I grew up in the church as a young kid, there was an appearance that I needed to have. There was a way that I was supposed to be in the world, uh, that there was a fundamentalism there about what it meant to be a certain Christian. Now, before I get too far down the evangelical conservative route, let's just be honest with ourselves. There's an appearance that we're supposed to have as liberal progressives in Los Angeles, there's an appearance of things that you are supposed to post and not post on your social media account. There's, a, there's an opportunity, right, to show who you are in the world by what you put out there, and that it's true of every single human being. Now, the other side of the story is that it's about what they hear. So there's seeing some things. Uh, for a world that they want to be a part of, and then they're hearing some things. The juxtaposition for the rabbis was this. The seeing was rooted in a world of appearance and a world of shame. There's a definition for you of shame and guilt, and it goes like this. Shame is feeling bad that we have failed to live up to the expectations others have for us. Guilt is what we feel when we fail to live up to what our own conscious demands of us there's a difference there. Shame is rooted in what are the expectations that other people have for me? Many of us have experienced shame because of our family of origins. Many of us experience shame because there's a certain societal norm that we're supposed to live into. Many of us have experienced shame because the religious leaders, the religious world that we grew up in told us we had to be a certain thing. Cultivating guilt for the rabbis was learning to cultivate this inner conscience that you have within you because there are still rights and wrongs in this world. Sometimes in progressive worlds, we think, oh, let's just throw away all boundaries and we can do whatever we want. Says who? Have you tried it? And how did it work out for you? That we still need guilt to shape us, but guilt doesn't always mean that we are feeling bad about what everyone else says. Guilt is this compass that we have within ourselves that begins to guide how we think and how we navigate the world. So we're going to look at shame and guilt as we continue on in this passage, and it goes like this. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Evil. There's this proposition that the snake is offering about eating the fruit, because then you'll have the knowledge of good and evil in this world. And here's the truth about it. You can get the knowledge of good and evil through shame or through guilt. It's the difference between information and wisdom. There's information, facts, and data that people can provide you out there, and it's not the same thing as the wisdom that you experience when you've gone through something, when you're healthy, when you develop, or when you grow. How many of us lived in the world where many people warned us about certain things, right, or gave us a certain narrative for good or for bad? And that was our understanding of the world. That was an authority that somebody else was giving us. But the authority that we're looking for is not an external authority that tells us the way the world should be. It's about cultivating an internal authority where we can learn to trust ourselves in the way that God is working within us. Because there will always be serpents. There will always be cultural norms that shape the appearance that we're supposed to have in this world. And the thing that we do as the people of God, as human beings, the thing that we cultivate within ourselves is how do we begin to trust ourselves and how we begin to hear a still voice within us that shapes who we are as human beings and not just follow the things that we're supposed, that the culture says that we're always supposed to follow externally or through appearance. And the story goes on like this. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it and then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breeze were blowing, the man and the woman heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. The rabbis say this. The power of the word of God is that you can never hide from the voice of God. That the voice of God is something that follows us wherever we go. The voices of God is something that we can always cultivate in ourselves. No matter what shame or guilt we've experienced, that God has the ability to continue to speak into our lives, which gets me to Ozarks. You were waiting for that. So anyone caught up with the show? I'm not going to ruin it, I promise you, so don't worry about that. We'll relax on that a little bit. But what I noticed in the show is that there's this experience going on between the different characters. And particularly this season, it's about Windy Bird and the shame that she experienced about a choice that she made to kill somebody. And the narrative that happens in season four, if you're like, I don't know anything you're talking about, blank out for the next 60 seconds and I'll get back to you. All right. Is that she's experiencing the shame about a choice that she made. She made this choice because of the sociological pressures that were around her. And there's other characters in the story of Ozark. What's interesting in this case, it's her children who are listening to a guilty conscience. They're listening to a conscience that says, no, there's an inner voice that says that what we did was wrong, that the means don't always justify the end. And we as human beings constantly have to make simply that choice. How are we going to live our lives? Are we going to react to culture and life and the thoughts and feelings around us? Or are we gonna be proactive in the way that we evolve and that we grow? And so the rabbis propose this to us and they encourage to say, how do you cultivate this capacity to listen to yourself? How do you cultivate this capacity to listen to God in the world? And I've listed some hows about how we might listen to God. First is silence. I think that we live in a world where we're highly distracted. I live in a world where I am highly distracted. Sometimes it is difficult for me to listen to myself or to God because I'm so anxious about the world, and the easier thing to do is to scroll through social media or to watch a lot of Ozark. (laughs) Am I alone in that, or do any of you experience it? How many of you wake up in the morning and the first thing that you go to is your phone? Thank you. Yes, thank you. Well, I knew that, but yeah. And I think that we live in a world filled with massive distractions, where our world is filled with things that we can see, but learning to listen is incredibly difficult because there's so much noise and clutter going on. And maybe the question for us this morning is, is how do we just cultivate a little bit of silence in our lives? That might not mean that you need to do some like 30-minute quiet time or whatever the things that you were told before, but does it mean this? Can you start with one minute of silence? Can you commit to saying, I'm just going to wake up this morning and be here, sit, stare at a ceiling, and not see what's happening on Instagram or TikTok? What might that do for us in teaching ourselves to trust that the ability to listen to ourselves? Nature. Nature. How many of us realize, because the earlier stories that were in Genesis 1, that the world was created good and that the world all around us already is telling us a bigger and better story about who we are, about who God is, about what it means to be human? And you don't need a lot of evidence for that. If you've ever just gone outside and you just heard birds, it's incredible. I was, I was just sitting outside the other day and I watched like this flock of like 100 birds and just how they moved together. How, how do they know to go left and right and up and down all at the same time? It created wonder within me. I go to the Huntington Gardens. Any of you ever go there? Oh, for the love of God, if you just want, like, a blast of beauty in your life, please go. Like, I'll pay for it. It's incredible. Take me up on that offer right now. Info at If you say it, I'm going to send you there, right? I said it. I'm Oprah. You're going to Huntington Gardens. You're going to Huntington Gardens. You're going to Huntington Gardens. <laughs> That's right, I said it. This will be a fun little treat, all right? Let's see here. My kids aren't going to college now, but you're going to Huntington Gardens, and that's all that matters because we need to listen to the beauty that's in this world, that the beauty is already out there. So often we are off on some journeys to find wisdom or to find some voice that will tell us what to do when it's already in front of us. It's already all around us. The beauty of silence is that you get to hear, oh my gosh, I got a lot going on already, and I can trust myself. The beauty of nature is, oh my goodness, there's already this beauty in the world that God has given us that I can learn to trust. The list goes on, God, oh my goodness, I know, in a church on a Sunday morning, how do we begin to learn to trust God's voice within us again? How do we begin to learn to trust, right, that what this earliest story of, of humanity is telling? This is not a story about the fall. This is not a story about original sin. That's incredibly fatalistic, by the way. That's a story where you have no power and no control. And for early on in Christianity, in Christian orthodoxy, they rejected that version of the story, that there's somebody who did something thousands of years ago, and now you have to suffer because of it. And by the way, let me just give you a little random, I'm gonna go on a little tangent about original sin, so just go with me here for a second, please. All right? The tangent about original sin goes like this. The old, I'm going to. Was that you, God? Your voice is so clear in my heart. It's truly Unbelievable. If the Bible cared about original sin and if the Bible really believed that there was some belly buttonless couple at the beginning of the stories who ruined all of existence for you, then how come the rest of the Old Testament never tells you that story again? Never. Why? Because it's not the point of the story. Don't you think that God would want to tell you that story a lot of times if they had ruined all of history for you? So is the Old Testament a story about we need to get the command so that God can show us that we're sinners which is what we've been told what the Old Testament was there for, right? It's like not even important. You just need to know how bad you were and that you couldn't keep these commands because there's a holy God out there. That's a Ju- Judaism's view of the Old Testament of the Hebrew Bible. Judaism's view of Genesis 3 is simply, oh, here's the story where you get to learn to listen to God. That's it. It's not complex. It's not about a fall. It's not about sex. It's not about apples. It's not about original sin. It's just a story that you need as a human being because the rest of your life, you're gonna learn to cultivate the voice of God in your heart. That seems way more simple, Right? How come Jesus never talks about original sin? You would think if Jesus came to die for your sins because of what Adam and Eve did, he would say it just one time. Guys, I'm here because of original sin. I'm here because of the serpent and the fruit thing in the garden. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, I came to show you the kingdom of God. I came to show you a different reality is what Jesus says, and when you're living in this different reality, you learn to listen to, your, to God and yourself and others in a different way, right? Jesus says, I came to teach you, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. It has nothing to do with original sin. And I can go on a lot longer story about the Council of Carthage in 418 and Pelagius and Augustine, which I know that you all want, but we don't have time because I've been talking a lot today. But if you want to know more, email me about Huntington Gardens and we'll meet there and chat about it. <laughs> now it's on you. Now it is on you. So the Bible doesn't even seem to care about original sin. There's a lot of church moments and history of why we ended up picking up that narrative and why we didn't pick up that narrative. But here's just a fresh perspective I want for you to have of the Bible. And this is why we're going through this Torah, these Torah stories in, in 2022. Is what if you just got to think about Genesis 3 and it was no longer a story about the oppression and repression of women? What if you got to read Genesis 3 and you no longer get to think about some fatalistic story where some people made a decision thousands of years ago and you have to be affected by it for the rest of your life? What if it's just a story about choices that you get to make and the choices that you make are better and more proactive and more healthy when you listen to the voice of God in your life? That sounds way more simple and better versus all of the other junk of the narrative that you've been given about what these stories mean and don't mean. And so maybe we can learn to trust the scriptures again. And here's the beautiful part about the scriptures. They're wild. They are crazy. Sometimes they make a ton of sense, and sometimes you're like, you're doing what? There's a reason, and I say this a lot, there's a reason that even Jesus never quotes Joshua or Judges. Because he's like, I'm staying away from that shit. But then he'll quote the Torah or the Prophets. Because it's like the Bible saying to you, oh, the scriptures are about God and humanity and the complexity of those relationships. And sometimes we take two steps forward and sometimes we take one step back. And sometimes we dance around, and sometimes we have different versions and ways that we get to God, but the stories keep leading us towards this journey of listening to God. The story of Abraham is a story about him hearing God and then going and becoming this man of faith. The story of Moses is hearing God in the burning bush and listening to the voice of God and taking this radical revolutionary journey to liberate these slaves from an empire. The story of the prophets are a minority voice that's saying to the world, you can listen to Babylon, you can listen to Greece, you can listen to the United States, you can listen to the Romans or whatever popular empire narrative is out there. But here's the trick of the story. When you listen to the voice of God, when you listen to the marginalized voice, the minority voice in this world, that's the voice that's going to lead you to health and transformation, And how do I know that? Because in 2022, there's no Roman Empire anymore. There's no Greek Empire anymore. There's no Babylonian Empire anymore. We're reading stories of a marginalized group of Jews because the story worked, because they committed their whole history to listening to the voice of God. The proof is in the pudding. They kept finding ways to listen to the voice of God, and they messed up a thousand times is what the stories are about. And then they kept relearning that there's a better way to be human. That they would have stories where they were supposed to listen to the voice of God, where they were supposed to care for the widow and the orphan and the alien, and then they didn't, and the voice of God had to speak in a new way. That there's all these different versions of empire narrative that we've been given, but listening to the voice of God is something that is revolutionary within each and every one of us. I think it's powerful. And one of the most famous stories of the Old Testament is the story of Elijah, where God's trying to say to us, I'm not speaking to you in the wind or the earthquake or the fire, I'm speaking to you through the stillness of your own heart. That Judaism was the advent of spirituality because it wasn't about some external religion of authority and appearances. It was about you trusting the internal story that God's spirit is speaking to every single one of us. And that story is not exclusive to Christianity or Judaism. That's a gift for every single human being. And isn't that what we want? To trust that God's already within each and every one of us. The prophets and the teachers said, uh, the teachers of the law said to Jesus, where is this kingdom of God that you speak of? And Jesus says, it's already within you. Why do you keep going and looking outside for these other people to give you an authority for your life when the authority that you need is already within you? You just got to learn to trust yourself in it. Would you learn to listen to others. And when you learn to listen to others, this is something that takes a little bit of time would you learn to listen to others who love you and who you love? This is a big lesson for people in in our current state of being. You don't have to listen to everybody. Just because they have an account with a certain amount of followers doesn't mean they have wisdom. Just because your parents said it or just because whoever aunt said it, it was always Aunt Judy for me at Thanksgiving for the love of God, doesn't mean it's true. You get to learn to cultivate the voice of God within you. And a great litmus test is, do I love them and do they love me? That's a great place to start. And if the answer is no, you might want to say, I'm going to go listen elsewhere. Here's also the beautiful things about the scriptures. Would you allow some dissenting voices into your life? The beautiful part about the Bible is that the Bible challenges itself all of the time. The Bible says you should question that. You should ask some bigger questions about what's going on there. You should realize that there's a plurality of voices that are taking place even within these texts because sometimes you need to question the the BS that you're creating for yourselves, for for myself. Because what happens is and then I'm trying to get everyone else to co-sign on my BS. Instead of saying, oh, I need some people to challenge me out there. You know what? The algorithms have done their job, and I only hear what I want to now. And maybe there's some other voices out there that will give me a bigger perspective of humanity. So we can learn to listen to God. We can learn to listen to ourselves. And this is the last one. I'm going to go fast here. How do we learn to listen to our body, our thoughts, and our feelings? The New Testament evolves in this way, that you are the temple of God. And so when you're out there looking for how do I listen to God and where is God at, God's already within you. And so, how do you listen to your own body? And I love that psychology is advanced so much that with EMDR, with interfamily systems, with all kinds of other advanced psychology that's out there, right? Uh, your body is keeping the score. The trauma that you experience is a teacher for you in your life, and you can learn to trust that. And in the world of Christianity, because of verses like Genesis 3, where now the flesh became bad and all these other things happened, we learned to not trust ourselves anymore because at our core, we were somehow these wretched, depraved sinners. Get that out of your mind. You are made in the image of God, and you are good. Your body is not horrible or bad. Your body is good and beautiful. Wow. Guys, I'm just kind of preachy today. Thanks for doing this. I've been gone. I've been out of town. But I think it's something powerful, and you're a room of people who constantly teach me that. But I don't have to be disconnected from my body. Learn to listen to your feelings. Many of us grew up in the world where your feelings were evil or bad, and now we've probably overcompensated where every feeling that we have we somehow believe is true. That's also not true, because sometimes I'm just hungry and I think some shit, right? Yeah. Oh, I saw what Carissa did there. Yeah, she wants to just end the marriage, right? And it's like, just eat a granola bar, dude. Like, just breathe a little bit. Because sometimes we have a feeling and we're like, oh, that feeling's telling me something, and that doesn't mean it's true. There's, some, there's a deeper thing here that maybe I need to listen to of why do I feel this way at the moment? Why am I so angry? Why is it causing this reaction in me? Sometimes it's very simple things like take a nap. Sometimes it's like, oh, I've never repaired this relationship. And because of that, every time I see this person, I think they're saying something negative about me, and the weird thing is they're not thinking about me. They're thinking about their favorite person themselves because that's just what it means to be human. And sometimes you can hold your thoughts captive that every thought that you have is not always accurate or true. You get to hold it up against some things. Hold it up against the silence that you're teaching yourself to listen to. Hold it up against the voices of those who love you and whom you love. Hold it up against the Torah and the Gospels. Hold it up against other people that you trust in this world. Hold it up against what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, right? Every thought that you have is not accurate, but your thought can be telling you something. Your thought could be telling you something, oh, maybe I paused there, and this thought could be a guide or a teacher, but I no longer have to believe this limiting voice or this narrative about who I think that I am. It's simply this, people. All of the tools that you need to trust yourself are already within you. God is already within you. The choices that you have to make to take the red pill or the blue pill is already within you. You can cultivate this capacity to listen to yourself and to listen to God and to listen to others and to listen to the wisdom that's already baked into the fabric of the universe. We have to choose to do that. When we choose to do that, we reclaim the history of this world. When we choose to do that, we reclaim our own relationships. When we do that, we choose to reclaim what faith is. We get a bigger, broader, more robust faith that we not only is gonna serve us, but serve others around us as well. So would you get back into your groups and would you answer this question with one another? How can you practice learning to listen? Enjoy.